so happy Father's Day. And, and especially to all those dads who are in the final stage of acceptance, hey, live it up, right? I, I, I hope I'm there My, the other day. Um, uh, so just since you asked, um, I, I'm, uh, I'm getting super into my lawn this year because that's what you do in the acceptance phase. And um, uh, my son, my oldest son, I'm, I'm like, I got all these like fertilizers and sprays and all this kind of stuff. Like if, if, if you understand the language I'm using, like, you know, like you're in it, right? Because my goal is, is, is uh, it's, it's simple, to dominate my neighborhood with my lawn. That's it. That's my goal, right? Greenest, most lush lawn, that's it. So, um, so my, I'm, I'm just doing all this, and my, my boy comes up and he goes, Dad, all you talk about is the lawn. <laughs> like you're always working on doing the lawn. Why? He's like, that's weird. I said, son, that's what I said. Okay, you can, I'll let you steal this. I said, son, a man can only control a few things in his life. <laughs> and his lawn is one of them. So... One day, you too will obsess over your lawn. So like, I, I watch that, I'm like, ooh, I need to get me some of those. I need, like, yeah, I, like that, what a nice getup. So welcome, happy Father's Day. We're glad you're here. Dad's on your way out. We got you a little uh, gift. Um, uh, this is awesome. You know what this is? Himalayan Pink Himalayan salt. <laughs> in a little grinder. So we talked about this, I don't know, months ago about the best way to make steak and this is the best salt. So on your way out, make sure you grab one of those. Um, and I have one here. Any, any dads around that want just, here you go. Ready to catch it? Ready? To, oh, I can't. In the back rows, I might hurt someone. Okay, there you go. All right. I don't want to knock someone out. So, um, uh, happy Father's Day. And then here's a cool thing we're doing too at, at, at New Hope. Um, starting today for the next number of weeks, um, we, uh, uh, we're going to, um, in July, we're going to be painting this church. So the exterior, I don't know if you've ever seen the exterior of our church. Have you seen it? Do you, real quick, quick test. Do you know what color it is? Yeah, that was quick. Some of you are like brown. Yeah, that's right. It is brown, if you haven't noticed. Um, but it's also like peeling, and it's just, it's time. It's been a long time, right? The, the, you know, the, the Ben sun is brutal on paint. So we're painting this whole place, and uh, some people from our church who also who paint are going to be doing it, which is a great blessing. Um, but here's, what, here's what's cool. This will allow us to do something that I think is, is going to be awesome. We're going to, starting today after service, give you the opportunity to write prayers and scripture all over this building. So you can legally and with permission graffiti this place. <laughs> but here's, what, here's the deal. Um, this, okay, I, 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 didn't, I don't think I need to say this, but I'm gonna say it. This applies to exterior walls only, okay? I don't wanna see you out there like drawing this huge mural like, you know, on our kid's wing. Like, no, no, outside we have... Um, we have specific pens that we're using. They're gray pens. Don't just pull out, you know, you're like your big full black Sharpie that like will never cover. Um, we have some gray ones uh, because it'll cover much easier in the lobby. So on your today, as well as the next few, maybe probably two, three, four weeks till we start actually painting, grab, grab a pen and just write some scripture, write some prayers, write it, you know, all over the place. Go to the kid's wing, write some prayers over the kid's wing and they will be here on this property forever, right? We'll paint over it and like, isn't that cool? So um, you'll have that opportunity starting today and then for the next few weeks. So uh, make sure you do that. Now, 
Daniel. Last week, we did an overview of Daniel, and we talked kind of bird's eye view, big picture about Daniel and the book of Daniel and what it is and how we should read it and how it's, uh, how it's set up and, and, and how, like how it's complex. This isn't just like a guy sitting down deciding to write something. Like this is, this is, is a unique book in all of scripture. Um, it, it's both narrative and prophecy and apocalyptic. And so it's, it's history and prophecy and it's two different languages. And so if you missed that, um, it would be good to just go catch up and just kind of get an overview of Daniel. But today we start in Daniel chapter one and, and, uh, and, and it's before we even get into it, there, it's, we gotta do some background to, to figure out like, okay, what's going on? Because when we start with verse one, there's already a lot of stuff that's happening. Right? There's a lot of context that we have to know. So um, the, the, going back to the very beginning, God gave the Israelites the law, right? Through Moses, it, the 10 commandments are the most well-known part of it, but it was the entire, what's called the Mosaic law. He sets up this covenant with Moses and, uh, and, and, and then he's going to eventually, he's going to grant them entrance into the promised land. Like I have this place for you. I'm prepping it and it's gonna be milk and honey. And, and one day you're gonna get there. Moses doesn't get to see, get to, to go into it. He sees it from a distance, but the, the group after him, Joshua gets to actually go in and then like take part and, and conquer and now be in the promised land. So God gives them the promised land under one condition, that they obey the covenant. That you, you listen, here's what I ask. Just obey the covenant that I made with you. This Mosaic law that I, I gave to you, just obey this. Listen, no other gods before me. Don't worship or bow down to any other idols or any other false gods. Like, don't do that stuff. And this place is yours. And what do you think they did? They constantly, consistently, persistently rebelled and worshiped other idols. They worshiped bow down to other gods and worship them. And, and so eventually the kingdom, so Israel gets broken into two parts, the north and the south. And the north was 10 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. The north was 10 tribes. And then the south was two tribes. The north became known as Israel, just all of Israel. And then the south was, became known as Judah. It's still a part of Israel, like it's all Israel, but they kind of had a division. They had their own kings, their own kind of separate system set up. Um, and, and it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like uh, when we say um, New England, you know what New England is, right? New England is a whole area, uh, like the north northeastern part of the United States, but like New England in recent years has been ha ha kind of, unfortunately, has been conquered by this group called the New England Patriots. You know them? Do we, do we have any Patriot fans? I heard some clapping. We will pray for you. That is too bad. Um, but New England is a whole area, but it's also like Boston, right? So this idea of like, it's all Israel, but it's also still broken up into two different areas. So, so, um, so the Northern kingdom gets conquered first by Assyria because they rebelled, and, right? And, and it, literally like time and time again throughout the Old Testament, it says, and, uh, and this king did what was detestable to the Lord and did what was right in his own eyes. This is how you know if it's a good king or a bad king. If they followed the Lord, it says, and they, they did what was good for the Lord, like they followed the Lord. If they were a bad king, they were described as, and they did what was right in their own eyes, meaning they strayed from what God said and did whatever they wanted. 
And so we go from bad king to good king, bad king to good king, and then just a whole string of bad kings. And so God says, you guys, I can't, you can't do this. You can't lead my nation like this. And so he lets the northern, uh, northern, um, northern Israel, the 10 tribes get conquered. And he gives the southern tribes, the two southern tribes that make up Judah, um, he gives them extra time because they were a little bit better. Like they had, they had some good kings, like they did a better job. So they end up getting about 120 years more time to, okay, listen, I'm giving you time to stay in this area, but you got to obey. You got to, you got to. And then eventually, as you can imagine, they turn. And, and, and what seems to be the straw, the final straw was when uh, King Manasseh, um, he decided, and this is, this, is, this is how bad it got, right? Uh, he decided that he would sacrifice some of his own sons to this other god, Molech, this other detestable false god, this idol. Think about this. He sacrificed his own children. He's, an, he's, an, he's a, uh, a descendant of David. He ha- his kids are descendants of like the great King David. And he says, you know what? In our worship of these other gods, I'm gonna sacrifice my own kids. That's, is anything, can anything be as terrible as that? So God looks at this and says, enough. You can't continue like this. So enter this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Through the prophet Jeremiah, who lived at the same time as Daniel, he writes a prophecy about, specifically about what's gonna happen. And he says, because of all of this, because your sins are so great, because of the sins of Manasseh, I'm going, this is what he says, I am behalf of the Lord, I'm speaking on behalf of God. God says, I'm going to allow the Babylonians to conquer you. I'm telling you ahead of time, this is coming. Yeah, right, okay. And then enters Nebuchadnezzar. He shows up and, uh, and he decides I'm gonna conquer a lot of different places, particularly Egypt, but through Egypt, like on the way to Egypt from Babylon is this place called Jerusalem. So he realizes I have to conquer, defeat Jerusalem, which is no easy task. So if you've ever seen Jerusalem, it's covered by natural ravines and there's, there's mountains on one side and there's this huge ravine on the other. Like it's not an easy place to conquer. Jerusalem is, uh, is an incredible city, thick walls. I mean, it's, the, it's, the, um, it's the, the focus of how many countless movies, right? I mean, eventually the crusades, like every, everyone fights for and wants Jerusalem. And so they've learned to defend themselves well. So he shows up and, and he... He doesn't, have, he doesn't have to fire a single arrow. He doesn't have to pick up a single sword. He's going to conquer Israel and Jerusalem in particular because they just simply give up. They have no will to fight. They have no conviction. They know Nebuchadnezzar and how great he is. And, and instead of trying to fight and die, they just open up the gates of the city and let him in. He decides to take some young men of noble blood and deport them to Babylon with himself. So he wants the young, the best, the brightest. And I, I, this is, I'm, I'm now your king. I've conquered you. I want the best you have to offer. And I'm going to take them as my own and I'm going to train them as my own to become my inner court. We'll look at this in a second. This is how Daniel 1 starts. Um, and, and Daniel was included among them. Daniel, and then we'll see he has three particular friends. 
So here's what we're gonna see. And, and this, this, is, this is true of the entire book of Daniel. Every chapter we open up for this summer, every time we pull up Daniel, you should be thinking, remembering this. Dan, in Daniel, we see a battle on, on two fronts, always two fronts, the natural and the supernatural. There's a natural thing that's going on. What we can say is the, you know, there's, there's the storyline. Just simply, this is what's happening. And we're gonna read through that. And if you don't read Daniel with kind of spiritual eyes, you'll read through it and you'll just see stories. But then there's a second, a second battle, a second layer. And this is the spiritual battle. And, and what we're gonna see, and I promise you, as we go through this, this if, if you're reading it with spiritual eyes, you will see this jump off the page and realize, oh man, there really is a whole nother undertone to Daniel. One that maybe I haven't thought of or seen or heard about or read before. So Daniel is a battle on two fronts, the natural and the supernatural. This is so important because as we read, you will see both. The natural makes sense, it's right there. And then right behind it, if you really start to, to, to look for it, you'll see, oh, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot more going on here than just simply the story. So here we go, Daniel Chapter one, verse one, here's what it says. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is the last remaining king of Israel, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He didn't attack it, he besieged it. He just surrounded it and waited it out. And eventually, literally, they just gave up without a battle. No one died. So this king, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, I like to call him Neb, Right? Makes sense. Neb shows up and he surrounds Jerusalem. And it says this, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God set this up. God allowed him to be delivered into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And then it says this, Along with some of the articles from the temple of God. Now this is a big deal, right? This is like, this is the stuff that you don't touch, that you don't, you don't move, that you don't, you don't take lightly. The things that are inside the temple, like God's temple. And King Nebuchadnezzar, Neb shows up and he's like, I want that. Well, is that gold? I want that. Ooh, that looks nice. I can wash my hands in that. I want that. But it's, it's more than just that. We'll look at it in a second. It's more than just simply, oh, those are worth some money. There's a spiritual act going on here. So he takes these articles and from the temple of God, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. Now, what, what we just saw was him saying, my God beat your God. My God stole your God's most holy possessions. <laughs> the God of Israel is nothing, is nothing compared to the God of Babylon. You see what's going on here? This theme will continue. And then it says this. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, kind of like, you know, his, uh, his right-hand man, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from royal family and the nobility. And here's, the, here's, how, here's how you decide who gets to be a part of my inner court. Ready? Young men without any physical defect. Handsome 
showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. I want the best. I want, I want they got to look good, no defects. They, they need to be attractive, and they need to be very smart and able to learn, and they need to be really young. That's who I want. Go find me those in Israel and bring them to me. And then it says this. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them to a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they, were entered, they would enter the king's service. So his goal, Nebuchadnezzar's goal, was to be the, the best and the brightest to serve in his inner court. And, and there was a reason for this. Um, he wanted people who, um, who he could raise up as skilled counselors because he had a large empire. And, and here's what they would do. We're going to use your own people to rule over you. We're gonna use Israelites to help govern Israel, that area. But before we do that, we have to convert them. We have to assimilate them. Make sense? I, I, want, I want all of your, I want your best and your brightest to become Babylonian. I want them to be more Babylonian than they are Jewish and they will help counsel me how I should rule over you. And he did this for every, every, uh, every nation, every, every, terror, every area that he conquered, he would do this and would get insight. Here's how you should lead them. And he does so from the inside. It, it's, it's actually pretty brilliant, isn't it, right? I mean, and from a tactical standpoint, all right, this makes sense. And so Babylon looked like a melting pot. People from all kinds of different areas who looked all very different, all different kinds of cultures, but they were all Babylonian. And, and he would use them to help rule his empire. Make sense? That's, the, that's how we begin Daniel. These guys, these four, uh, there's plenty of others, but these four in particular that we're gonna read about, he's trying to, ready? To brainwash to convert, to assimilate into Babylonian culture, learn the language, learn our history, learn our, our military insight and tactics, learn agriculture, learn our art, learn everything about us and become like us. We're gonna teach you about our gods and you're gonna worship our gods, not, not yours. We defeated yours, remember? You're gonna worship our gods. So we see this. We see that they're gonna learn, at least the intent, is that Babylon is so much greater than Israel and that their God, the God of Babylon, his name was Marduk. Marduk is far greater than, what's your, what's your name? Yahweh, is that y Yahweh? Okay, but whoever that is, you don't worship him anymore. You worship our God. So verse six says this, among them, among those who were chosen, were some from Judah, and here they are. Daniel, we know this man. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those three you know, but not by those names. But those are them. Those are some of the four that we're gonna focus on. So Daniel and three others are part of this group. They were the best of the best, best and, and they were probably 15, maybe at most 16 years old. That's it. Because they wanted you to go through this three years of training by the time you were 18. They didn't want you as an adult. As an adult, 
You've already decided, you've already, you're already set in your ways. You've already worshiped your God. You already have your, your, uh, your, your moral compass set up. I want them when they're impressionable. I want them when they're teenagers and I can change them. Now, thankfully, our teenagers today aren't ever impressionable by anyone else. We don't deal with this same issue. They knew from the beginning, from early on, thousands of years ago, if we get them young, we can change them. So they're young, they're teenagers. They would be taken from their home and from their family. And, and this is just, it, it's, it's heartbreaking to think about. Um, they would be taken from their home and their families never to see them again at age 15 by no fault of their own. Daniel didn't, this didn't happen because Daniel was living a, a sinful life. This was because of the nation that they lived in and, and they've turned from God. And so now this is judgment and, and Daniel is just part of the, the collateral damage. So here's what we see that uh, there's a map. Here's a map of, uh, of, of Jerusalem and, um, and Babylon. So this is the Middle East, right? Doesn't look like much, but that, that has from the beginning, thousands of years, people have been fighting over this territory, this plot of land in the world. It's a super small part of the world, but I mean, today, all right? I mean, it just feels like almost every other week there's new news about the Middle East. And so here's, uh, here's Jerusalem and Babylon. Here's where they are. Um, uh, Babylon is in modern-day Iraq. It's uh, just south of uh, Baghdad. So if you, 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 we, we've had, I mean, as America, we've had a history with Iraq and Baghdad. Babylon is right there. Like this is the place that he's taken to, same place. And they would travel not across because that's a huge desert. So they would travel up and stay by water. So they would make this trek 900 miles. It probably took between two and four months to travel this. And, and you can imagine 15 year old Daniel taken from your home, taken from your family. And now you're, you're on this two to three to four month journey to Babylon where you're gonna live your life, be converted as a Babylonian and, and, and think of the heartbreak as you leave Jerusalem. You, you leave the temple, you leave the walls, you leave everything knowing it's all done. I'll probably, I'll never see this place again. I'm 15 years old and I gotta figure life out now. I got three other guys that I know and we're just gonna have, we're just gonna try to survive. And they make this journey to Babylon. Here's the gate. Um, this was known as the Ishtar gate in Babylon. This is what it looks like. Uh, in today, it's still there. You can go see it. Um, here's a, a, um, uh, a model of what it would have looked like. Uh, there's this huge entrance column, right? This like uh, this road entering, and then the blue part is this massive gate. And and this this was meant to be intimidation. Hey, look how great and powerful we are. Don't try anything, right? We own you. You're ours. So they're traveling down. You can imagine as they're coming, people are cheering and shouting. We just defeated uh, both, both Egypt and, and Israel and Jerusalem. And look at all these people we got and all these new slaves and all these captives. And they're all coming through this gate. And Daniel and his friends are walking through this, probably getting yelled at and in a language they don't really understand or know. And, and they show up to this gate. And this is life now. Here's what it looks like today. Here's the ancient ruins of Babylon. You can still see. This is from Saddam Hussein's summer palace. Like this is how close they were. He had a palace that, that uh, eventually, uh, he obviously he's no longer there now, um, but uh, these photos were overlooking that 
entrance, that colonnade into Babylon. Daniel, 25, 2,600 years ago, walked that place and would be uh, assimilated into Babylonian culture. Here is the temple. This is the place where he took, uh, where, uh, he took all of the articles, all of the, the, uh, the items from the temple of God, of Yahweh, into the temple of Marduk. This was this huge, again, huge, massive, impressive building that was, okay, this is something. This, this is the power and the might of the Babylons. This is the power and the might of Marduk. It's hard to get a reference for this. Here's an artist's rendering of what, like the size, like you can think of the, the scale of this thing. So Daniel and his friends leave their country, leave all they've known, leave worship at the temple of God, and they come here, and now this is supposed to be home. This is where I'm supposed to now worship their God. Now, now this whole thing creates a problem. This creates a problem, not for them. This creates a problem for God. This creates a crisis. God promised the promised land, and now he just gave it up. What kind of promise only lasts for just a short amount of time and then is, is somehow undone, conquered? Like the, the promise of God is, is out-promised by someone else, like is defeated by someone else? God has a crisis here, and it's a crisis of his reputation. Now, there's no longer Israel. It doesn't exist. It's now Babylon. This promised land that he promised is gone. And now, God himself is being questioned, right? Is he even real? Can he even do, can he even, can he even defend his own people? But here's what we see in the book of Daniel. We see that God is up to something. Though it looks like he's been defeated, there's a whole nother undercurrent that God is doing. I heard, I, I was reading one commentary and it said that God was, was, uh, was setting up home base in the heart of Babylon. That he, listen, this is crazy. That God Yahweh would defeat Marduk on Marduk's own territory. This isn't a matter of defeat. This is God saying, all right, you wanna fight? I'm going to send some, just a few, just a few of my teenagers to show you just how great I am. They don't know that. Daniel doesn't know that, but we know that's coming. So here's what we see in verse seven. The chief official gave them new names. Now we're going to look at these names in a second, but here's what I want to say. As we talk about what, like, like what, Dan, what we should read out of Daniel chapter one, what, how, what, like what we should get out of it, how it should make sense. Here it is, ready? What you worship is what controls you. This is true for them. It's true for us. What you worship in your life controls you. Another way of saying it is, is the, um, that what you decide to worship is that what you give control of your life to. And what you worship doesn't have to be a who. It can be anything. What you worship is what controls you. They knew this. So here's what they try to do. We need to convert Daniel and all of his friends to our religion. We need them to worship Marduk. 
So verse seven, it says this. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, here we go. You know these names. Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. We know them, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's not their names. Those are their Babylonian names. That's not who they are. But we call them that, right? It much like we don't call Daniel Belshazzar, but that became his, his new Babylonian name. Now here's what we see. These names mean something. These aren't just random names that they just said, oh, this, you know, just go look at the top. What are the top 10 names of, you know, of the year 605 BC? And, and we'll name them those, okay? These mean something. So here's, here, look at this. This is a chart of, of like, of both the natural, and remember, there's a supernatural like undertone to all of this. So here are their Hebrew names. We know their names. We just got them. They're, right, Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. And, and here's what they mean. They mean, God is my judge. Yahweh has been gracious. Who is what God is, right? Like who, who's better, who's bigger, who's, who, who can possibly be like God? And then Yahweh has helped. That's what their names mean. Now here's their Babylonian names. These other names, now Belshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, this, even their names are a direct assault against God, Yahweh. So here's what they changed their names to mean. Belshazzar means this, may Bel protect his life. And Bel is another word for Baal, which is a, a, a god that, false god that comes up over and over in the Old Testament. May Baal protect his life, not Yahweh. Okay. Shadrach means this, the command of Aku. Aku was another god, a moon god. And, and so like, listen, hey, you're not gonna be Yahweh's gracious to you. No, 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 you are now under the command of Aku. So we're gonna call you Shadrach. Shad, Shadrach is probably Shadraku, but Shadrach. Meshach then is known as this. Not who is what God is, but huh, that's a fun name. Okay, we'll call you who is what Aku is? Who is what Aku? We have, we've defeated. Who is what God is? No, no, no. You got a new name. And it's Aku. Who is what Aku is? And then Abednego doesn't mean Yahweh has helped. It means a servant of Nebu. Now, here's what's interesting. Daniel, um, even as he writes this, he intentionally misspells their names. And he does so to not give credit to their gods. So Abednego was probably actually Abednebo, right? The servant of Nebo. And he goes, no, 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 no. I'm not gonna give you the satisfaction of that name. I'm just gonna change a little bit here. It's Aben, Abendego. I'm gonna change a letter. It's probably a lot like, um, like if you were to be uh, taken captive by someone in another religion, we'd just pick any religion and to serve their God to change their name. So um, instead of, you know, uh, a son of Allah, it's, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going by that. You can call me a son of Ullah because I, I, I will not submit to that. Daniel does that, written in the scriptures forever. He's like, no, no, you think, you think you can change us, but but we remember, and we know who we are. Now, we're just getting into this thing, right? I mean, Daniel has just begun. So what we see is that Daniel and his friends get a name change, and this name change is a direct assault onto who God is. 
Verse eight says this, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Daniel resolved, he says, no, 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 I can't eat food and wine sacrificed to other gods. Can I, listen, and he does, this is incredible. He doesn't do so um, in, in a combative way. He asks for permission to, to get a, a hall pass. Hey, can I, can I not do that? I'm just, can I have permission not to, not to partake of, of the, the king's food and the best food there is? I mean, this is like, this, it's what the king ate. This isn't like just, you know, some slop that you get. Like this is the, the best of the best food in Babylon. No, can I not eat that? What? What, what do you mean? Just, just give us some vegetables and water. That's all we need. And, and this guy says, you, first of all, you gotta be kidding me. There's no way. There's no way we can do this. You see, Daniel decided not to defile himself. This was the first testing of Daniel. We don't know. To this point, he's just gone along with everything up to our knowledge. And now he decides, I cannot, I cannot do this. Daniel decides, I will stay true to God no matter what. You can change my name. You can change where I live. You can change my address. But listen, who I am and who I serve will not change. And, and, and if I'm going to do this, it will, it, for me, it is, a, it is a matter of conscience and serving and worshiping my God. So can I have permission not to do this? Daniel decided that in a, in a, in a culture that was completely hostile to him, that wanted nothing but, but him to convert, to be like them, he says, no, I, I will remain faithful to God. See, listen, the world today, culture today, society today, it wants no less than what Neb wanted. It wants your allegiance, right? Our world, our culture, society wants you to agree and to fall in line on a whole host of issues. And those issues seem to be changing all the time, but it, here's what doesn't change. Hey, we're right. Agree with us. God, whatever. Okay, fine. Just don't talk about him, but listen. You... Be f we want your allegiance here. Culture, it, it wants control by controlling, ready? By controlling what you worship. Because everyone on earth worships. We all worship something or someone. Everyone worships something. And, and it may be fame or wealth or success or power or... Um, uh, politics, there's no shortage of things we can worship. And we all decide what we want to worship. What they don't tell you is really what we're saying is, hey, pick your poison. <laughs> because every one of these is a false God to worship. But please come. And, and perhaps, perhaps the greatest God that the world has to offer is the self that you, yourself, is, is, is prized above all else. It's very subtle. But ultimately, the God of the self is king. Here's, here's what that means, ready? You gotta do what's right for you, regardless of what that means for other people. Sounds great. Hey, listen, you gotta find and discover who you are 
your truth and be that person. Be that truth. Don't let anyone else tell you, tell you otherwise. Even if it means stepping on a few people to get to, it's fine. You listen, you worry about you. That's what's most important. There's a commentator who wrote on, on this, on, he writes in Daniel, and he writes this, and I, I read this and was like, oh my gosh, that's it. That's great. His name's a killer name. His name's Temper Longman. Sweet. Like that doesn't, that can't be real, right? But that's his name. Since the individual is at the heart of worship of secular culture, personal gratification and self-realization are prized over any sense of the other person, any sense of community, whether that community is the family, the church, the city, the nation, or the global community. It essentially, is, listen, I don't care what happens to everyone else. I, wanna, I just want to make sure that I'm taken care of. Now, what about you? Daniel resolved, this says this, he resolved not to defile himself. Have you resolved to worship God regardless of what the world says, regardless of, of what the world offers? Have you, have you resolved, this is a hard one, have you resolved to worship God above yourself? and what you want and your needs. Jesus talks about this. He says, listen, you wanna, you wanna be my disciple? Hey, what does it take to follow you? You really wanna know? Okay, here's what it means, ready? Here's what you gotta do. You wanna, you wanna be my, my disciple, you wanna be my follower? Ah, more than anything else. Okay, ready? Here's it is, ready? Deny yourself. Step one, deny yourself. And then he says, take up your cross and follow me. Well, hold on, hold on. Wait, I just wanted to like, like, if you tell me to do something, I'll, I'll do that. No, 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 here's what I want you to do. Ready? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Sacrifice yourself for others, for God, and, you, and then you follow me. Ooh. This was not the theology of Babylon. That is certainly not the theology of our culture today, to deny yourself. So we continue. What you worship is what controls you. So we see Daniel... We see in Daniel this, because what you worship is what controls you, ready? You need to resolve to never compromise your faith. What you worship controls you. So you, 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 you need to resolve to say, I will not compromise my faith, no matter what. No matter the danger, no matter the pressure, no matter what outside sources are pressing in on me or trying to get me to, to change just a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left or, or just, just, no, 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 listen. I, I cannot, I won't allow myself to compromise my faith. You will be tested. You will have plenty of opportunity to compromise. Some of us, we've already had it, right? You've already lived a life of opportunity to compromise. And, and, and some of us, maybe that is still in front of us. But listen, like Daniel, we have to resolve not to compromise. So Daniel offers, he offers an option for this guy. He says, listen, I don't want to eat this food. Please don't let make me do it. He offers a test. And the guy says, you're crazy to only eat vegetables and water. He's like, what am I going to say to the king when you look so much worse than all these other people that are eating all this food? And he says, all right, how about this? How about we test it out? Just do it for 10 days and let's just see what happens. All right, I'll give you 10 days. So 
Daniel and, and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they eat just vegetables and water for 10 days. And then it says at the end that they, that they were healthier and of better appearance than everyone else. That they, they, def- they decided not to defile themselves by eating the king's food and they were healthier and better nourished than those who did eat. Now, what should we get from this? Number one, this does not mean we should all become vegetarians. <laughs> and and, and the, the proof in this is that this is, this is not the norm. That's why he had to ask for permission. They knew that this was not gonna be a good diet. And, and, and the reason that, that they're healthier isn't because they ate, it isn't a natural, like because they ate vegetables and water, they're healthier. It's because they said, we rely on God. What they're doing is fasting and saying, we're gonna fast because we can't be a part of what, what the king is doing and we wanna focus on our God, Yahweh. And so God grants them supernatural health. So um, a lot of times, like what people will read Daniel, like, oh, there's a thing called the Daniel fast where you just eat you know, fruits and veggies and water. And that's great, that's healthy, sure. But that's not the point. Like we don't read Daniel 1 as, as like, what, like, what's the biblical like dietary guide? Like how, what does the Bible say about how we should eat? Oh, well, Daniel chapter one is all about that. N- no, not at all. What, what it shows is that they are relying on God even for their food. So because they look healthier, they're granted. Great, you listen, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Keep doing it. And then what we get is a summary of the rest of their time. And here's how this chapter ends. It says this, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel, this sets up now the rest of the book, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Not because he was great or skilled, but God gives this to them. At the end of the set time, this three-year training set by the king to bring them into service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, all right, Neb, here's your guys. The king talked with them. He does a personal interview with all of them. And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Listen, there, there, is, none, there is none like these four. Like what, who are these guys? Who are them and, and how are they How are they so far above everyone else? And it says this in verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. I mean, he's probably given out like like the greatest quiz of your life, right? Like, all right, you've spent three years of training like us and everything that we know. Okay, let me grill you on the toughest questions on all of this stuff. And it says this, he questioned them. He found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. These were actual like roles that were like, like political positions, right? I mean, we, like our White House doesn't have the role of magicians now, but, but in Babylon, that was a, a function you played was the magician or the enchanter. And so he says, listen, these guys at age 18 are 10 times better than my best guys. All right, I want you. I want you guys really close to me in my, my inner circle. You see what's going on here? This is God saying, all right, all right, Marduk, I see you. I see you playing checkers. I'm about to mate you, right? You're about to get checkmated here. 
and, and, and I'm gonna win and I'm setting up my pieces so that, I, you know, like, like you're thinking I'm setting this, everything's gonna be great and God's looking at us going, I got mate in three moves. You don't see it, but I'm setting the pieces up. And part of that was these guys. So they become the closest of Nebuchadnezzar's inner circle. This is not a physical battle. Again, this is a battle of deity. This is a battle of God's. Whose God is best? Daniel knows something Neb doesn't. This battle between Yahweh and the gods of Babylon is just beginning. Here's how it ends. Verse 21. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. We read that, and if you don't really have a good understanding, it's kind of, okay, that make, whatever that is. But when you, when you look at the timeline, here's what that is. Ready? The first year of Cyrus is 65 years later. What we're getting is the end of Daniel's tenure. He's like, and Daniel served in this royal court in Babylon for the next 65 years. Here's what we would see that eventually, ready? Cyrus would defeat Babylon and, and that Daniel would outlast all of those in charge of him. Daniel would outlast, ready? He would outlast the entire Babylonian empire. And it will crumble, it will be defeated and there's Daniel. Hey, hey guys, hey. Have you, th have you thought about following Yahweh yet? <laughs> where's, where's Marduk now? What you worship is what controls you. So resolve to never compromise your faith. Will you stand with us? So we're gonna worship, worship the Lord together and, and remember and sing about how, how good he is. Um, so let me pray for us. So Lord, as we, as we enter into Daniel and we see the, the, the incredible example of faithfulness in Daniel, this teenage boy and his friends. Lord, help instruct our lives to never, to never compromise our faith, though the world would love nothing more than us to do that. Help us to keep our worship on you, that we worship you, and we give you control of our lives. We worship you now, Lord. We thank you. We pray this in, in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Let's worship.